1: I'm Hemant Mehta, and you're listening to the Friendly Atheist Podcast. If you like what you're listening to, please consider going to patreon.com slash friendly atheist podcast. Thank you all so much for the kind words you've sent over the past couple of weeks. As Jessica said in a previous episode, I did have a baby. It was delicious, and I'm eager to get back into this. Jessica's out of town this weekend, so I was excited to do an interview with someone whose book I heard about, and I really wanted to talk to her. So I wanted to share that with you this week, and then next week, Jessica will be back, and we'll be uh, discussing news stories as usual. Amber Cantorna was a homeschooled child raised in a conservative Christian family, but her father wasn't merely a believer— He spent 30 years as an executive at Focus on the Family, the ministry founded by James Dobson and known as one of the most anti-LGBT groups out there. He's actually still working there. So after all of that, as you can imagine, it became something of a problem when Amber came out as gay. She's about to publish a memoir called Refocusing My Family, and I've been really eager to talk to her ever since I heard about this book. Tell me about your childhood just so I can get an understanding of kind of the environment you grew up in.
0: Sure. So I really don't remember anything other than Focus on the Family because my dad started working there when I was three, and he continues to work there to this day. So that's really all that I knew. I was cocooned very much in a Christian bubble, and the principles that Focus on the Family is founded on really infiltrated our home. I was homeschooled K through 12 and really was cocooned a lot from the outside world, not really exposed to any kind of diversity um, of any kind really. And was surrounded by a lot of people that looked very much like me and acted very much like me and believed very much like me. And so never really got to, um, experience the outside world. And people would ask me, you know, do you feel sheltered? And of course, I'd say no, because I knew nothing else at the time. Um, but now looking back, I realize how sheltered I really was from um, so much of, you know, of the world and of life.
1: So if I talk to, you know, I, of the gay people that I know, a lot of them will tell me they knew they were gay at a really young age, you know, as young as like six, seven, eight, Um, But definitely by the time they were in high school. So if you were homeschooled until 12th grade, at what point did you realize you probably were different than the culture you were growing up in?
0: Much later than I, you know, than you would think. Um, My wife would be one of those that knew from the time that she was five, you know, wow. and I think that I always knew that there was something different about me, but I could never pinpoint it. I struggled a lot with feeling um, different with feeling other with feeling depressed or, um, you know, just anxious and that kind of thing a lot, but I could never really pinpoint what it was that made me different. And so it wasn't until my early twenties when I fell in love with my roommate, um, that I started to really question because I was also a big part of the purity culture, which taught that true love waits and you don't have sex before marriage. And we had this big ceremony around my 13th birthday, where I signed a contract and vowed to stay pure until my wedding day and wore this ring. And it was a huge deal. And so I just felt like that was what was expected of me. And because of my dad's position and who our family was, a lot of people looked up to me to be the role model. And so I just did what I felt like I was supposed to do and what was expected. So I never really... I don't think it was even on my radar that I would have been gay because I had never been exposed to gay people and I had never really known um, anything different. I mean, what I knew of gay people was all very negative, you know, the stereotypes. And so I had no good example of of that or even, you know, any interaction around other high school students who may be questioning that kind of thing. So it really wasn't until, you know, early 20s that I started to really pinpoint that.
1: And, and just so we could pinpoint this, what were you taught about homosexuality and sex? And I mean, I think a lot of listeners may have an idea if they follow this sort of stuff, but uh, what were you taught about it?
0: Well, I was taught that, you know, sex before marriage or um, outside of marriage was wrong. Um, that was considered a sin. Um, and, and they kind of always pinpointed these certain things like, um, you know, purity was important. um, we as females were responsible for dressing appropriately so that guys would not lust after us. Um, you know, th- they would always con, um, condemn things like, um, pornography and masturbation and focus on that kind of stuff so much and, um, bring, I think way more attention to it than what it needed. And so m- my view of, people who were gay was that they were, you know, party animals and slept around and just kind of everything that you would hear about the typical stereotypes, um, that they were deceived and going to hell and they had turned their back on God. And, uh, it was very, a very negative view, but I just believed what I was taught to believe because I didn't know any different, you know?
1: When was the first time you knew someone personally who was gay?
0: <sighs> uh, I wouldn't say until I knew myself, it was after I started questioning my own sexuality. Um, it really wasn't until that, that I was exposed to any other gay person. Um, to my knowledge, you know, I, it really, sure. it was quite late in life. Once I started wrestling with my own sexuality, that threw me for such a loop because that was the one thing you were never supposed to be, you know, it was, it was the biggest sin you could commit. And so I dealt with a lot of self hatred and stuff because you were just that was what you were taught to never become and suddenly, when that pops up inside of you, it was like i didn't know what to do with that, and I wrestled and I struggled, and i had you know uh self injury and even more depression and suicidal thoughts, and just because suddenly that thing I was taught to hate was inside of me. And um, it, it just caused a war in my soul.
1: I do want to talk about some of the stuff you just mentioned in a little bit. But let me let me go back for a second. One of the things that a lot of conservative Christians like to say is that They don't single out homosexuality. You know, we're all sinners. Being gay is a sin. But so is a lot of other stuff. Like, it's not like they're singling out homosexuality. But it sounds like you're saying, no, no, no. That was the cardinal sin. All the other ones were not as big of a deal.
0: I would say, you know, when it came to me coming out, that was certainly the case. I mean, there was a lot of things that were considered to be wrong, you know, um, divorce was wrong. Adultery was wrong. Sex outside of marriage was wrong. You know, there was a lot of other things that were wrong, but I think in my parents' eyes, when I came out to them, there was nothing worse in the world. Like they felt like I had just turned my back on God and on everything they had ever taught me. and. I mean, I think they would rather I had committed a crime than to be, you know, I mean, my mom actually said to me, I would rather you turn your back on God and be gay than to be gay and pretend that everything between you and God is okay.
1: Wow. And I wrote this down because it was interesting. In your book, you actually quote, your mom is saying, uh, she doesn't approve of your lifestyle, but quote, we'll have to see what this means for the future of our family. Yeah. Which, again, yeah. focus on the family is your life. <laughs> that seems right. like the exact so opposite kind of, of that. it's kind of ironic, yeah, yeah.
0: That, that the very thing that, you know, we were taught to do to merge the family together it ended up tearing us apart, you know. It, it really is kind of ironic. And and so, yeah, what that means for the future of our family, I was like, well, what does that mean, you know? Like, yeah. I knew then already that it was going to be bad because, they essentially felt like they had to choose between their love for God and their love for their daughter. And they told me point blank that they would choose God.
1: And by the way, how old were you when you came out to them?
0: I was 27.
1: Okay. So this is not like high school. You're probably what independent and, you know, living your own life and career at this point.
0: Yes, yes. I had been out of the house for quite some time. I moved out at 18. So I was very independent, but we were still very close as a family unit. Um, You know, we all lived in very close proximity to each other and um, really were, you know, supportive of everything that we did. We were always present for each other's birthdays and holidays and anniversaries. And, you know, anytime you needed help, you just called up. And I mean, my mom and I would talk on the phone, you know, two or three times a day sometimes. It just, we, you know, you you talked all the time, so we were very close, and then when this happened, it was just like an instant disconnect happened.
1: So in some memoirs, this would be somewhere in the middle of the book, and it's all chaos, and then by the end of it, your parents have come around, and they love you, and things are much better, and everyone learned a lesson. Is that how your memoir goes?
0: It is not. (laughs) I still have no contact with my family to this day. And so uh, there is kind of the happy ending of my story where, I fall in love and I get married and we are very happily married, but I had no family at my wedding. Um, I haven't had contact with my parents in almost four years now, and they've never met my wife. They've never seen our home. They've they've missed out on the most important moments of my life. And so it still is very um, heartbreaking. You know, there's still a lot of things that continue to be hard, even in the midst of it.
1: The only time I've heard someone say something like that is when they were Jehovah's Witnesses who left and they were like disfellowshipped or like Scientologists. And we associate that kind of behavior, the total cutting off of someone in your family for being disobedient in some way Mm -hmm. that's associated with cults and and conservative Christianity is not generally considered a cult. It's just, Oh, they're conservative. That's about the Mm -hmm. extent of it. But I mean, so let me ask you, is that, typical behavior of people in your circles if they knew someone in their family was gay or, you know, got divorced or did something else?
0: You know, and and certainly not divorce. Divorce was far more acceptable. But I think, you know, even though it wasn't considered right, it, it happened a lot more often. I don't know that it happens so much in in our circles, but I think when it happens outside of you, it's easier to accept than when it happens within your own family and I think that was taken a lot harsher and I think my dad's position at focus um, made him take it a lot harsher as well they my family always focused a lot on appearance and on reputation and how this looks to other people and the appearance that it has to the outside and and so it really um, for them carried a lot of weight and I think my dad was afraid that he would lose his job. And, you know, they even told me, you're putting your dad's job, in, you know, at focus in jeopardy and how selfish of you to do this to our family and and that kind of thing. So I think for them, it was a core foundational principle that they couldn't
1: move beyond at all. Which again, and- goes to the heart of the irony here, which is that focus on the family would, it sounds like they would rather see your family torn apart then come together. Do you know if the people your dad works with are aware of your situation?
0: I would guess... I think some of his closest friends are. I really don't know at this point what they tell people. You know, like, I, I don't know if they even tell people that they meet, that they have a daughter or if they, I mean, cause we don't have any contact and they've missed so much of my life that I, I really don't know what they tell people now. I know, you know, some of their closest friends know and that kind of thing, but as far as what they've told friends or people that they are new to their lives that they meet, I really have no idea what they tell them. Um, and, and I, you know, I'm curious about that. Do they even say that they have a daughter? Do they not? Do they, you know, like, I really don't know.
1: Do you have any siblings? Are you from a large family?
0: I'm not a large family. I have a younger brother and he lives in Austin and, um, he has, I think he has felt probably caught in the middle to some degree. Um, but he's very close with my dad. And so, um, I have no relationship with him at all either, which is very unfortunate.
1: So you basically lost your entire family because of who you are.
0: Yes. I mean, it wasn't just it wasn't just like my parents and my brother. It was all my extended family as well. My Mm -hmm. cousins and my aunts and my uncles and my grandparents. And, you know, some people that I hadn't talked to in years felt, you know, the need to suddenly reach out to me and tell me that because they loved me, they felt an obligation to tell me how sinful my behavior was. And, you know, what I was doing to the family was so wrong. And yet these were people that never cared about me before, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then even those that did, you know, um, you know, I had quite a few hurtful emails from my grandmother and, you know, telling me how deceived I was and, and how wrong I was. And so it, it wasn't just my, you know, my immediate family.
1: Sounds like a uh, great Christian love right there. <laughs> um, so speaking of which it, it, I was actually surprised. You're still, uh, someone who firmly believes in God, you didn't, your faith wasn't shaken by any of this. And I'm kind of curious why that is. At what point do you connect like your community and your family's behavior and their faith with the horrible things they've done to you in, you know, inspired by it, but you still believe in God? Like, what's the connection? What's your relationship with God, I guess?
0: Yeah, well, I couldn't ever, you know, I think I had to separate what I believed and knew about God from my own personal experience as opposed to what people were doing in the name of God. And I had to make that distinction. And so for me, I never really like turned my back on God, my faith has definitely gone through a deconstruction and I've, you know, gone through where I've questioned a lot of the things of my theology that I grew up with and kind of reconstructed that into what I feel is a lot stronger and more accurate representation of Jesus. Um, But I can't, I can't say that I don't believe in God. Um, I do sometimes have a hard time identifying as a Christian because of all that is being done in the name of God um, now just along every spectrum, you know, in our, in our culture, there's so many things that are being done out of hate that are said to be done in the name of God. And, um, but I do yet that Christian is my heritage. And I, I do still very much, um, believe in God and it still would consider myself a follower of Christ.
1: I want to ask you something that I, I don't know the answer to several years ago. I, I forgot if James Dobson was pushed out of focus on the family or he resigned. Do you remember the answer to that?
0: I wouldn't accurately speak to it. I know he is no longer affiliated with um, focus and they have had a new president for quite some time, Um, but he is no longer, you know, well, connected with them.
1: The reason I mentioned that is when he left, when he, when they pushed him out or he left on his own, whatever, uh, Jim Daly, I believe is the guy who took over and not long after he got appointed to that position, he came outside of Chicago where I live um, and I went to to that meeting. He was at a local hmm. church. They were doing like a family happy time thing, and it was open to the public. So I was like, mm-hmm. all right, I got to go check this out. I want to know what's <laughs> going on here. Um, and one of the things that I found really interesting, because um, I was genuinely curious if the direction of the organization would change, and something I really appreciated, genuinely appreciated that Jim Daly said is that... It's not that they disagree with the homosexuality stuff, but they didn't want to be in the same like fire breathing awful rhetoric maybe that I'm, and I'm paraphrasing here that James Dobson had. They're not going to like blame 911 on gays. Right. That's not what he wanted to do. He wanted to focus more on building families. And so one of the mm-hmm. things at that meeting he talked about is we are really going to push for Christian families to adopt children who need a home. And I mean, there are some issues with that. But on the whole, I'm like, that's a wonderful thing. That mm-hmm. sounds really mm-hmm. great. But what you're telling me is that even in your family, even under this new leadership, it sounds like you still don't have this relationship with your Dad and I'm just kind of wondering: Did you ever sense that focus on the family shifted their priorities?
0: I have heard. You know, we've had some people that are you know are working on kind of reforming the theology from within side. Christianity. And, um, some of them have gone to focus and spoken with, um, Jim Daly and some of the leadership and, and kind of what I've heard from that is I think he would like to move a little bit on that and that the organization isn't quite as willing to do that. And so, um, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but you know, my dad's leadership had been so long under Jim Daly. I mean, I'm sorry, under James Dobson, you know, for so long that, and I think to them, this is a black and white issue Mm -hmm. and they don't see it as anything that, can be, um, even questioned, like to them, they just see it as a literal black and white issue. And I think they really truly believe they're doing the right thing. You know, like, I I think they really think that they're in the right, but they just have no, um, ability to expand their mindset and see the diversity that, um, that I've come to find in God.
1: Yeah. And it sounds like even if their rhetoric might be toned down at focus on the family, then the priorities have not really changed. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me ask you something totally different here. One of the things you mentioned in the book that I was uh, somewhat amused by, and I'll tell a personal story with this too. You attended New Life Church in Colorado Springs mm-hmm. when you lived there for a while, and of course, that is the church that Ted Haggard, the mm-hmm. uh, famous uh, pastor and you know right hand man of God to like President yep. Bush, I believe, yep. um, head of the National Association of Evangelicals, until. Yep um until he was basically caught doing drugs and meeting with a male escort and then all of that stopped and i was wondering uh, is most of the people listening are probably familiar with some of that story but you had an interesting take on what that did to you because you were you were really a member of that church you were close with them what was what happened in your mind when all of that went down
0: well I was very invested at new life for many, many years. That was, you know, that was my home away from home. I, I spent all my free time there and I just, I was very involved in a lot of their programs. And so at that point, you know, when that happened, I still was, oblivious to my own sexuality. And so the whole, um, you know, the whole thing that went down Ted Hager was devastating on so many levels, you know, but we felt like we had just lost a leader because he was really overnight ripped from the church, you know, and um, we never saw him again. And so there was a lot of pain and just really shock and devastation and, you know, oh my gosh, this can't be true and it can't be real and it can't, you know, and um, just a lot went on in within that time frame of the next, you know, year or so. Um, and I really, I really don't think that new life ever fully recovered from that. You know, the pastor Brady Boyd that came in and took over kind of had a different direction for the church and, and, in the times that I had gone, um, you know, I had gone and visited a few times over the past years or whatever. And, um, it just has a very different feel. It's not the same church that I, I knew it to be. And, um, so, I, I think I had a very different take on it at the time than I would now. You know, now I see it as more he was being hypocritical and got caught, you know, um, but at the time, even even the weight of it being um a gay escort and a and you know, and the drugs and that it really affected me and it affected my uh, ability to trust leadership in the church. And obviously, you know, I think it affected a lot of people that way because he held so much weight, not only in our church but really around the world. And so I began to really question well if if he's been lying all this time who else can I not trust and who else has been lying to me and and it really kind of put a you know a, a rock in the middle of the road for me for a while and I you know I wrestled with marriages and you know I saw a lot of people that I knew getting divorced, even though they'd been married for 20 or 25 or 30 years. And, uh, well, does any good marriage last? And, you know, it just, it made me start to really kind of question a lot of things in life, even though my own sexuality was still closeted to me at the time.
1: And in retrospect, do you think his fate, Ted Haggard's fate would have been different had he met with a woman instead of a man?
0: That's a good question. I... I don't know, to be honest. I I really don't know. I think the, I mean, in in my opinion, adultery is adultery, you know, Um, but I do think from their standpoint that, uh, you know, I think one of the big problems was that it was very hypocritical of him because he was promoting the Colorado Marriage Amendment 43 Mm -hmm. when this broke out. And so this was like just days before the election. And here we've got a huge banner on the outside of the church that says to support Colorado marriage amendment 43 between one man and one woman. And he's promoting this and he's speaking, you know, as a spokesperson for this, and then this comes out. And so it was largely hypocritical for him to be promoting one thing in public and behind closed doors doing another. And I think that was a huge part of the problem
1: you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but you did bring it up earlier. And the reason I want to ask about it is because there are very real consequences to the sort of anti-gay bigotry that we see in conservative Christian circles. But you write about this in the book. You write about how a lot of the pressure you were feeling and the, the depression you had kind of going through, uh, your questioning your sexual orientation and things like that. It caused you to inflict, inflict a lot of self harm upon yourself and I'm wondering if you want to share any of that or talk about that at all.
0: Yeah, I would love to actually, because it's so common among LGBT people, you know because we're we're kind of taught to, especially LGBT Christians, you're taught to hate homosexuality and hate this game and when that becomes who you are inside, it causes such a war inside of you because you don't want to give up your faith, but you can't change your sexuality and you just feel like you're in this crossroads where you don't know what to do. And so that really caused me to inflict pain upon myself and even become suicidal when I lost all my family and stuff. Cause I just didn't think I was going to make it through. And so a big part of the reason that, you know, has pushed me forward with writing this book is I feel like it's so important for people to realize the harm and the consequences of family and religious rejection for LGBT people because these suicide rates are just astronomical. Um, You know, you take a person who's LGBT and they're already four times more likely than the average straight peer to attempt suicide. But if they come from a rejecting family, they're 8.4 times more likely than, than even the LGBT person who has no or low levels of family rejection. So the chances that I survived all of that and came out on the other side um, really is a testament to the people that came around me and surrounded me in my life. But it really pushes me forward to advocate for A different approach especially in faith communities because it's causing so much harm and I have people reaching out to me all the time saying I just don't know what to do you know this is my my family I can relate to your story and and I just don't know what to do and I think Um, self-harm is just one of the ways that that can manifest, um, whether that's through cutting or through alcoholism or whatever that may look like. Um, But it's, it's very, very prominent in these circles, as is homelessness among LGBT youth um, for getting kicked out of their home because they're gay. And so um, it really, it really is very, very concerning and something that um, we need to address and that I'm very passionate about because of my own history and experience.
1: Are you working with a group now that you started to help these people?
0: So I have founded a nonprofit this year called Beyond, and it's focusing on providing support to LGBT people, um, specifically those that come from conservative backgrounds or strict religious communities because they're at the highest risk for suicide. But really what we're wanting to do is come alongside them and give them the support that they need through their coming out process. And that looks a little bit different for everybody, but trying to mentor them, trying to support them, trying to coach them, trying to connect them to the right resources so that they don't feel so isolated. Because what I hear over and over is, um, I thought I was the only one, you know, cause when you're, when you're, con- cocooned in this Christian bubble or in any really, it doesn't have to even be Christian in any um, conservative type of religious background. You feel like you're the only one and that there can't possibly other be other gay people out there like you. And that's so isolating to feel that way. Like there's just nobody to relate to. And so part of why I'm sharing my story is to give them kind of that beacon of hope and give them a story to relate to and, and, and help them realize that it can get better while also creating conversations for change among parents and families and, um, people in faith communities so that they can love them better. But really, as far as my nonprofit with beyond, we're wanting to come alongside those people specifically and provide support for them, um, through their coming out process.
1: I'll include a link in the show notes for anyone who wants to learn more about it and donate. Uh, it sounds like you're showing love to people who have basically been cast aside by groups that claim to focus on the family.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: I have one last question for you before I go. Uh, one more fact that I saw in your book that I, uh, I made, it made me smirk. Uh, how long did you wear that purity ring?
0: I wore it until I was probably hmm, 24 and i took it off when i was really wrestling um with the situation with my roommate and just realized that i couldn't there was something more going on in the midst of all that and i just couldn't um i couldn't let it go i had to figure it out and so it was in the midst of that that i finally took it off and i actually still own it i still <laughs> have it um you know in my house but um yeah and then you know after all that happened i just felt so uh, so worthless and like, Oh, nobody's ever going to want me now because they wrap all your identity up into this purity thing, you know? And so if you lose that, it, it feels like, Oh, well, nobody's ever going to want me anymore. And I really believed that, you know, cause that's, that's how strongly that was, um, that was emphasized. And so um, I certainly have a different take on how um, I think that should be taught now, because I think n- gay or straight, a lot of the purity movement has has caused harm to a lot of people yeah. Um it sounds, like take,
1: sounds like taking off the ring was a much better move than putting it back on.
0: It was. It was very, <laughs> uh, it ended up being very freeing in the long run. <laughs> very
1: good. Uh, Amber, thank you so much for joining me. The book is called Refocusing My Family, Coming Out, Being Cast Out, and Discovering the True Love of God. It'll be out on October 1st, but you can pre-order it on Amazon right now. Thank you again.
0: Thank you so much.